This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio. Thank you for joining me. It's uh, been a while. I've Running about a week late on this podcast because we've got so much going on at the moment. But on today's show, I'm going to bring him on uh, in just a moment. Is Thane Young from Rogi Productions. Now, you might have seen him on YouTube making these fantastic long-range shooting videos and hunting videos. If you haven't checked him out, go to Rogi Productions. That's spelled R-O-G-E-E productions on youtube and you can check out his uh, fantastic videos want to thank all the people as usual on patreon that support the show without you guys it wouldn't be possible to do what i do so thank you very very much you guys know who you are and uh it's great to have you on board supporting the show and if you want to support the show just with a few bucks you can go to patreon.com forward slash ahp that would be greatly appreciated now it's been a big probably three to four months most of us know we had massive amount of fires throughout New South Wales and Victoria as well and other parts of the country. Uh, pretty much ruined my holiday in Mallacoota. Tried to make the best of, I, uh, best of it as I could. Um, that was a big issue down there and I've never seen anything like that. Um, obviously, a lot of people lost a lot of their homes, their businesses, and it's taken a lot to rebuild. Now, just a couple of months later... We have to deal with this coronavirus now. I know a lot of you are probably listening, absolutely sick to death of hearing about it, as am I. I've pretty much logged out of my personal social media account. Um, I don't listen to much radio or TV anymore. Just absolutely sick to death, like most of you, hearing about this virus. And a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people are working from home now. And, you know, just wish, you know, take care. Look after your family members, and uh, I wish everyone's the best. If you want to email me for any reason, you can email me at australianhuntingpodcastgmail.com. Of course, go to the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au as well. If you want to listen to the show, we just got on, uh, we're on Stitcher. Uh, we got on there probably about a month ago. We finally got approved, so we're on Stitcher. Of course, we're on the Podbean app. You can go on the website, and of course, the main popular one uh, is downloading it from iTunes. And if you absolutely could, it'd be great if you could just jump on iTunes. I've got a lot of comments and ratings on this. That's absolutely fantastic. And if anyone can leave me a comment and five stars and rate, that'd be absolutely fantastic as well. Now, on our next show after this, it will be our straight shooting show. Obviously, there's lots to talk about, uh, about all the gun closures that are happening, not only in Western Australia, but Queensland and Victoria as well. So there's going to be lots to talk about on the political spectrum. And if you want to leave me a voicemail as well for the straight shooting show, uh, you can go to the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Uh, on that right-hand side slider bar, you will see the leave voicemail. So if you leave a voicemail, we'll play it on the show and address it. Whatever it is you have to talk about, we'd love to uh, address that. So if you go to the website, leave us a voicemail. We'd be greatly appreciative about that. But uh, that's not why we're here today. We're gonna, I've got a great guest coming up. I've interviewed people before from New Zealand. Uh, and probably about oh, maybe six months ago, uh, I ended up just looking for some long-range shooting videos and stuff like that. And up came... Thane Young from Roji Productions or Roji Productions. <laughs> now, I'm going to confirm it's Roji. I've heard him say Roji during the YouTube videos, but I just want to make sure it is Roji. Um, this guy is an absolute trooper, loves his hunting, loves his shooting. And when you watch these videos, uh, he actually puts people like me to shame, absolutely. Uh, I remember on a, one of the last trips I, I went on, 
Uh, I know my deer spots. I know where probably the deer are going to be, or at least a good chance of where they're going to be. And sometimes that's on state land as well. And I might come, I'm thinking, okay, I've got here at three o'clock. I need to get down into my spot. It's going to be dark in an hour. I put my tent up, put everything up, and I've probably got maybe 30 or 40 minutes, maybe an hour worth of light left. So I normally just drive down the hill. sit on one of the corners and obviously come around the corner maybe 150 200 meters sometimes 500 depends how close I can get and I thought well it's going to be an easy hunt just for the night Uh, let's see what happens let's see if anything pops out and sometimes you know what guys my car's been 200 to 300 meters away and deer have popped out at my favorite spot and voila we got me first deer sometimes I'm even still sitting in my work gear as well like my long pants and my collared shirt and (laughs) I'll shoot a deer. So, you know, he, Thane absolutely does the hard yards. And when he goes to the Ruahinis, which is a mountainous terrain uh, there in New Zealand, he might shoot a deer at approximately five, four, five, six hundred metres, but it's the recovery to get that deer out. And uh, he talks a lot about fitness, which is definitely something I've got to work on. No doubt a lot of people listen to the show, probably fitness is something they've got to work on. And uh, just being part of that grind and not giving up and Sometimes the shot is just one part of the hunt and doing that recovery, getting down those hills, getting across those you know, rivers and ponds and up steep hills. That he, uh, It's just crazy. And uh, he does it and he does it with a smile on his face and really instills uh, a good passion. And I always say that passion is universal because a lot of us just love the hunting. We love the experience. Sometimes you can get easier terrain than others, but we know New Zealand definitely has some very, very mountainous country, as we do here in Australia as well. And uh, it certainly gives a good atmosphere uh, to his YouTube video. So you want to check him out, Roggie Productions, R-O-G-E-E. Check him out. I think you'll enjoy it. But uh, I think we should bring him onto the show. Thane Young, welcome to AHP, mate. Thanks for joining me. I've been wanting to do this for a while, and I've been watching your videos for a while, so I thought, what better guy to get on the show, mate? So thanks for joining me. Hey, JC. Thanks a lot, mate. Um, I've got to say, I've got to say I'm a, a podcast surgeon, so you're my first, Jace. You are my first. So if you take it easy, <laughs> then, please, mate. I'd really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, now, I've been, um, I've, I've been asked to do a few podcasts in the past, and I just sort of... Yeah, I wasn't really reading thanks to COVID-19 and a fair bit of time to reflect on my thoughts. Uh, it's the green light, mate. It's the green light. Yeah, well, I'm glad to be your uh, first podcast, mate. So thanks very much for that. <laughs> Tell us about yourself, man. I mean, I guess, you know, I just get a bit, a bit of growing up. You know, did you – I watched one of your videos from the other day with uh, – you were dropping, out, I think, over at your dad's house and uh, you were talking about stories and you bought over some fish and chips and uh, had a bit of a chat with your, with your old man. And uh, is that how you got into hunting? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was born, and I was even in my last video. I was born into hunting. I sort of, um, I really don't know anything better, you know. And like most of our dads, they're like a superhero, and you see your dad going out and slaying up animals and stuff like that, and bringing them home, and you just like, I want to be like my dad, you know. And um, my, all my family, my extended family, my uncles, you know, they all hunted. My cousins hunted, you know. So it was really not a real option for me to be a, a hunter, I suppose, at the end of the day, you know. And um, I guess. Growing up in the time I grew up in um, the Red Deer Recovery days is, um, you know, it was it was money money for the family, and um, I grew up in a family where you know my dad was a logger and uh, not a lot of money coming in, so he would supplement um, his salary with the shooting deer left, right, and centre. And I tell you, mate, he would just shoot tons of them, and we would help him out, 
gut them all out and then take them down to the uh, the chillers, the game chillers, and we, we would uh, collect a big fat check at the end of it. So uh, that, that's how I sort of started and, and um, you know, growing at the hunting and shooting. It's interesting you bring that up, actually. I just went to, because of all this bloody virus crap that's going around at the moment, I went over to a couple a lot of our gun shops have closed, been forced to close by the government at the moment with a couple of different uh, states and stuff like that. And uh, I went to pick up, for my deal, I went to pick up some ammunition. I said, oh, I'm interviewing this guy from New Zealand. He said, oh, yeah. And he goes, oh, where's he from? And I said, well, I know he hunts the, the Ruahinis and stuff like that in uh, New Zealand. And he goes, his dad used to do the same thing as well and uh, collect deer and stuff like that and, and hunt deer and, and uh, take them back and actually sell them to supplement his income as well. So it's interesting to hear you say that, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I think it's guys from my era, I would say, that, uh, that, uh, that, have, that have come across that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess it's uh, when you grow up like that, and I think I said on the, and if you sort of in one of my videos, but um, I actually didn't taste venison till I joined the military, you know. Um, I, the only thing we really ate, to be fair, that we hunted and ate all the time was uh, wild pigs, you know, and it was um, a big part of our, um, our growing up was chase the pigs for the pot and the deer went for the bank account. So um, there was uh, a lot of people, you know, questioned me after the video, asking me that they couldn't believe that I hadn't actually eaten venison until I was in my late teens, you know. Um, but, you know, it's um, I'm pretty blessed, mate, to be fair to, to grow up grow up in an environment like that when when I look at how um how people get into hunting these days, you know, I sort of I, I, I wow it how they just decide to all of a sudden pick up a rifle, see a gun magazine and go get into it, you know? Mate, one thing I wanted to ask you too about uh, the name, Rogie Productions. Now, when I was watching the videos, I never a couple of videos I never heard you say it. And obviously, sometimes Rogie over here means like if we're on like a UHF radio, oh, Roger, mate, Rogie, whatever you want to say. Where did that name come from? Reckon it's awesome. Exactly what you just said. It comes from the uh, radio telephone procedure, or the confirmation on RT, uh, <laughs> Roger or Rogie. It's exactly where it came from. I, uh, I was hunting with um, another YouTube mate, uh, Kabubu, and uh, with my military background and forestry background, you know, constantly using RTs and comms like that, I would always, uh, you know, Roger, Roger, and then I'll confirm Roger, no, Roger that, you know. And so they nicknamed me Roger. So that's how I got the name, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's, I just, and it's sort of stuck. And then once I got into the YouTube thing, I, what's a really cool name? And I, oh, Roger Production. End of story, mate. Roger has been created. So weird because I've had it where we've been like out on hunting trips too. I'm like, yeah, Roger, yeah, mate, Roger. Yeah, just a little exactly. bit of slang exactly. on it. And yeah. um, no, yeah. that's cool, yeah. man. That's cool. Where did you, when you obviously, Growing up with your, your parents, like your dad and stuff, where did you where did you grow up, and where do you sort of reside in New Zealand now? Uh, I grew up in the uh, Hawke's Bay, sort of um, my marae, where where I come from. In terms of my, I'm, I'm, I'm of Maori descent, so um, I have a marae which I we're based up in the Hawke's Bay. So I grew up in around uh, Hawke's Bay, sort of middle of uh, North Island, around sort of Topo area um, as, as a young fella, and then obviously. Uh, did a lot of my schooling down in Hawke's Bay and then left there to go to the military and then went around, did my worldly stuff, found my lovely, beautiful wife in Palmerston North where I was based in my, one of my last postings in the military and then sort of lived there for about 20-odd years um, in and out of different types of employment. And then I now, uh, with my job, got uh, posted to Wellington where I've been probably for the last last 12 months, I would say. Yeah, and it's uh, 
yeah, quite a quite a challenge being in a big city. I'm I'm, I'm a country bumpkin by nature, and I'm I'm still a little <laughs> bit intimidated about driving in the big cities, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Wellington's at the big city, eh? Big city. <laughs> For me, buddy. <laughs> exactly. Um, I want to. When you were growing up, obviously, I'm not sure if you had brothers or sisters. Obviously, Dad was into hunting. What about any other family members? Were they into hunting? Brothers or anything like that? Cousins? Yeah, I, I grew up with uh, two sisters, two brothers, um, and obviously, like the brothers, sort of, you know, we, we sort of likened towards being like the old fella and uh, got into hunting. And then, as we sort of, um, we all grew up. Um, my two brothers, they sort of took another path and, um, you know, just sort of stopped hunting altogether. And I guess um, the chip off the old block, I'm the oldest, oldest in the family. So um, I'm almost a splitting image of the old dad. And uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> I got all those, all that drive, all that drive to, to hunt and be in the outdoors all come from him. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, I'm still the only one left hunting in the family. And uh, I lost cousins, though. I've some really, um, really good uh, hunters cousins you know that they're really bloody gifted hunters and i still kick around with those guys a bit but um uh, sort of close family no unfortunately they didn't sort of continue on with the with hunting and shooting just little old me what about um what about dad does he still get out dad doesn't get out with your hunting or he's you know as oh, i know as we normally yeah. get a bit older it sort of gets a bit more difficult as we get older but yeah, no, he's um, he's got a bit of an arthritis in his hands, and I got to say, you know, the old fella, he he, he rates himself as a bit of a Steven Spielberg. Got a lot to say about how I do my videos, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's he's a bit buggered now, and he sort of really lives vicariously through my videos. You know, just um, always ring me up, we always yarn about it, but you know, it just. I remember the last time him and I went for a hunt together, you know, and it's um, I thought it wouldn't be the last time, but it just ended up being the last time, you know, and it's just being out with the old fella and. Having those conversations, you know, um, you know, adult conversations instead of him telling you don't, 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 don't breathe too loud, you know, don't stand on broken twigs, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, the, he's um, he's 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 done his dash, you know, done his dash in the old hunting, and he, he was a um, he was a professional hunter. Obviously, hunted for the chillers, but shot deer, um, you know, as a young fellow for living a deer color back in the old days. And, yeah, he's um. He's done enough of his um, slaying back in the days, and now he really just we yarn a hell of a lot, and uh, we talked about that before. The stories, the stories I get from him now, um, I never got those growing up. He just uh, likes to reflect a lot more about um, some of the adventures he gets. He got up to when he was a, um, a bit younger, you know. But um, yeah, it's just now we catch up yarn and hunting all the time, mate. You know, all the time, uh, which is uh, still pretty cool to still have that um, solid bond with him, you know, over hunting and shooting. Absolutely, that's one thing that. You know, I'm getting. I'm 39 next week, so I'm almost hitting the big four zero. But that's sort mm. of one thing that really sort of you know scares me getting older. That you know, when I get into my 60s, am I going to be you know getting around like I should be? It's sort of this middle age and that, and your younger ages when you go hunting. It's sort of something that sort of you know you know as you get a bit older, it's going to be a lot tougher unless you maintain your fitness and stuff, which is a lot of what you're into. Yeah, yeah, you, you did what. Um and I've always, oh, from a young age, you know, whether it was training for rugby or, or training during the military or, or training when I was in the military, I mean, I'm just um, driven driven to be competitive, playing rugby, all that sort of stuff. You know, I'd be the guy to be trying to smash everyone on the field. I'm just very focused on it. And, and because my passion is hunting, you know, staying, uh, always trying to bring my A game out in the field, it drives me to train really, really hard. And um, I guess uh, a lot of the times, you know, I, I spend – 
uh, three o'clock in the morning pack training or train in the afternoons, all to do with hunting, you know, and it's um, keeping as fit as possible, but yet, but yet managing uh, your body in a way, you know, because none of us are spring chickens, in a way that we can recover well enough to, um, you know, continue to, to do the stuff we want to do and be healthier, you know. Um, so I don't think there's any uh, fantastic formula, but you just got to be on your game, you know, and, and be dedicated and focused. To, um, so you enjoy yourself, you know, enjoy yourself out hunting. There's nothing worse than getting out there and you, you drag your sorry ass up and down the hills and you're going, oh, I wish I'd done a bit of extra training. Too late, sunshine, too late. <laughs> mm. What is your, uh, getting back to the family, what about in your family? Did anyone side to, I know you think you've got a couple of daughters, that, you know, what do they think about dad mm. hunting? Have they wanted to take it up or anything like that? Or what do they sort of think when dad's always out there hunting? and pack training, what do they think about it? That's a big fat no on the first question. No, they don't want to get into it. Um, but they're all, <laughs> they're all really good shooters. The wife and my two girls um, are really good shots, but uh, none of them have um, sort of uh, wanted to get into hunting or, or killing stuff. But um, I, think, I guess I spend, well, I would spend every weekend hunting. Um, I have a Saturday, Saturday where I hunt, and then I'm back on Sundays for a husband and father duties. So um, that's how my weekend call it. But uh, yeah, I've got the, I've got the, a great, awesome family that support me doing this stuff. And you know, having the YouTube stuff and that—that's all, that's all part of it as well. I mean, I don't need to talk about my hunting stories. I just, well, I try and ask them to watch it on YouTube, but they all think I'm a bit of a dipstick. So um, yeah, not much love there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what about what would you say your you know how much percentage of hunting say private land versus you know public land in New Zealand? I'd probably say I would hunt uh, probably eighty percent of my hunting. Me personally, hunting is done on the public land and twenty percent on private land. I just um, I find it far more rewarding to hunt um, public land. It's just you know you're you're out there. You just never know what you're going to get, and it's hard. It's good hard yakka. You know, it's good hard work. You you put in some honest work out there. Not the thing that, you know, some, some private places aren't like that, but um, my preference is to be out there where everyone else can be out there shooting the animals. And the private um, blocks I do have, I consider them to be more blocks where I go to harvest deer rather than um, hunt them, so to speak. Yeah, but um, no, over here, I mean, I don't know what it's like over in Oz, but the, the public land uh, is very, very, very accessible. You know, anyone could um, just put on a pack, get a free free permit from uh, Doc over here, and off you go, mate. Go uh, shoot yourself an animal. Mm. All right, mate, we're just going to go to a quick break, mate, and we'll be right back. Renowned for their strength, reliability, and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. Thane, I want to talk about YouTube, which is the main reason why we're here, so let's have a chat about that. Uh, what you know? What made you want to start a YouTube channel and start uh, sharing all your, your, your hunting trips on the internet? Okay, let me tell you the story. Uh, <laughs> 2015, I'm out hunting with uh, Gabby and, and TJ. We're out rocking the roll, and I've always been into filming my hunts. You know, um, just trying to hold on to those memories and so forth. And I was out there with Gav and um, we were yarning around. I was filming, filming, filming yourself doing a bit, and he was in the same. And I said, um, "He goes, oh, do you put this on YouTube?" And I said, "You what? what what's YouTube?" 
And he said, oh, hey, well, so it just happened to be in coverage. He showed me his channel. Well, Jesus, how much does that cost? It made it's free. You're kidding me. And people can see my videos and I don't have to force it on them like I do with my family. I said, yeah, no, nah, bro, <laughs> everyone gets to see it. So, um, yeah, 2015, I, um, I, I signed up with YouTube and um, started to get into it, you know, and it's just, um, like I said, it was about kind of really just sharing my adventures, my experiences. That was really was it, to just show people what I get up to, you know, and then as, as things progressed, I um, saw it as a platform to share knowledge, you know, pass on some of the knowledge, uh, stuff I've learned in the military, some of the things I've learned, you know, becoming a professional at long-range shooting, um, the, the gear I use, people ask a lot of questions, so I, I respond accordingly. So, yeah, YouTube started off as just a means to really Skype, I suppose, and show show people what I'm up to with it, but it's actually morphed into something, uh, um, yeah, quite, quite different than my initial reason for getting into YouTube, that's for sure. What do you think the most rewarding thing about making YouTube videos is? Um, I think making making friends, breaking friends is a good word. Of it. I, I have um, a handful of close friends now that I I hunt with now that I would never have met if it wasn't for YouTube. Uh, the Big O, I don't know if you guys know who the Big O is in my, in my videos, um, would not have met that big fella if it hadn't been for YouTube. Yeah. Uh, um, contacted me through one of our hunting pages, got to know him, and the way things worked out, we ended up going for a hunt together to help him validate his seven more bin mag in the field, and that was it. We just clicked, you know. Um, probably would have never had the opportunity to meet a guy like that, um, you know, through my normal sort of uh, friendship circles. But yeah, that that's the most positive thing is I've met some some really really cool cool people through YouTube, whether it's you know face to face or through. Um, you know, having chats with them through um, various messaging parts of social media. But that that's the positive, definitely the positive, the, the, the top top marks on me is, is meeting really good people. Yeah, yeah I've got to agree, mate. Um, even with the podcast, it's the same thing. You know, I've met some, mate, some people that I call really good, some of my best friends now, you know, yeah. that I've met in yeah, this mate, industry, yeah. you know. And, yeah. you know, sometimes yeah. the most unlikely person you may not think you might be friends with you know, you, you you really hit it off and, um, you know, I probably met about 10 good mates at least minimum, yeah. you know, out of this, you yeah. know what I mean? I'd consider, you know, all on the sort of same level. We go hunting when we get the opportunity. You know, if one can't go on that trip, then there's, you know, at least nine more to choose from. <laughs> so. Yeah, mate, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I sort of... Um I've got a roster, a roster with my friends, you know, if one has to babysit, well, I'll go to the next one, I'll go to the next one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. What about, um, you know, obviously on the, and I've, I'm not sure if you'd suffered from this, but I think we all have at some stages. On the flip side, I mean, other than the editing process, because I've done a, in my previous life, I used to do a lot of wedding uh, editing for videos and do a lot of, uh, yeah, that sort of thing, and it's, <laughs> the editing's probably the biggest nightmare for me, but what's the biggest oh, negative yeah. about, you know, making YouTube videos? I mean, you know, there's always going to be someone out there, whether it's, you know, non-hunters or that don't like, you know, shooting videos or even sometimes people that, you know, just get a bit jealous, you might say, from the shooting community yeah. that someone's out there yeah, sharing. Mate. You know, what's the – where are you yep. seeing the biggest yep. negatives coming from the, you know, you know, from making YouTubes and sort of putting yourself on the internet there? I think, um, you know, I, you know, I, I take, take this from other YouTube videos that I watch and I, and I look at how, how people – you know, they address them or they challenge them or they're just real pricks to them, you know. Um, and I look at sort of how that how that uh, transpired, you know, what did they do in that video to create this negativity? And um, so I've sort of taken those learnings from them. I've had my, you know, my, um, a handful of, uh, you know, what they call, they call trolls. 
internet trolls. Um, where <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, but yeah, I mean, everyone gets them. If you're going to put yourself on, on, on this platform, on a social media platform, you're opening yourself up for you know uh, uh, bloody negativity. And um, I guess how I dealt with them is pretty much disengage. You know, um, I, I like to um, in my videos articulate owning my own mistakes. You know, and making sure that I learn and, and my audience learn from my mistakes. You know, so that um, there's no opportunity for them to have a crack at you because because um, you've you've communicated it in a way where you've, you've taken full ownership for it. So I think a lot of that uh, nips it in the bud. But um, when I do have a troll having a bit of a crack, I, I just quickly look at the post and bang, I just block the guy from my channel and don't respond to him at all. And like I could say, I, I could count them. I could count them on uh, on uh, you know, maybe 10, 11 guys since 2015 um, that I've had to block off my channel just because they were being dipsticks, you know. Um, but that's, that's the worst case scenario, and I sort of don't tend to focus on that. I um, sort of focus. I take. I draw a lot of um, positives from the good feedback and um, what that I get off the um, off the channel, you know. But now that that negative side, you're always mindful of it, mate. When it pops up, you just you just don't engage. I've seen guys engage, mate, and it just ends up being just a complete rant, and it, it actually uh, takes takes your channel down to another level where you, um, you know you don't really want to be. You don't want to be, you know, uh, fighting negative with negative, so to speak. But um, no, that's unfortunately, mate. That's just the way way things roll. If you're going to put yourself out there, you're going to open yourself up for you know a whole heap of critiquing and a whole heap of guys that are way better than you. You know. Yeah, totally agree, man. And, you know, sometimes things happen. We've all been there where, you know, maybe the shot hasn't been the best place shot or we didn't factor in the win properly. I mean, these are all learning experiences and people yeah, should mate. be learning yeah. from these experiences instead yeah. of, you yeah. know, finding a place to find fault with somebody for sharing their, yeah. you know, hours of, of free content with the with the world on the internet, you know, and people should be happy that yeah. people like yourself, me, other people on there making YouTube videos and other types of podcasts and stuff. I mean, to give you know, people of the shooting community, something to watch. You know, I, I say this on a lot of shows that I've seen so many good people make like really good videos. And then after a while, they're either like, mate, can't handle the criticism anymore, too many. And often yeah. it's, often it's yep. not even from the, you know, anti-hunting or shooting community or the vegan community. It's normally from, unfortunately, yeah. from our own side. And I say, well, yeah. you know, yep. and, and they've hung up the boots. They don't make any videos anymore or it just unfortunately wasn't, you know, financially viable for the person to keep, you know, putting the time in, especially when, you know, like you and me, I know we've both got full-time jobs. So, you right. know, it's 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 a lot of effort and coming back to that bloody editing again, which takes hours and hours to put out a oh, final product, Jesus. you know what it's like. Jesus. What's your editing process no. like anyway? <laughs> um, yeah, so I run, I've been, well, we, we were going to talk about editing and you probably followed the same path. We started with free software, yeah. then we said, oh, I better, I better, Rip some off the internet. I oh, know. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, and buy some and so forth. And then, um, and, and, you know, as, as, <laughs> as you progress through, you know, learning the ins and outs and becoming more professional and wanting to communicate more, that um, the editing software gets better and better. And I'm running Adobe Premiere uh, 2020, and it's, it's sort of. I mean, I still, I still find out things about it that really blow me away. But uh, that is the bit where I, I find if I come out of the hills and I start uploading all my footage, if I don't, if I don't get into it quickly. I will leave it sit and then and I lose my mojo for it. I lose my because I, I still want to kick off with the you know the buzz I've got from the hunt. So I want to I, I edit better 
when I come out of the hills and I start working on it straight away because I've still got the energy and the buzz from the hunt. Whereas if I leave it leave it for a while, I, I find I get a bit stale and I don't sort of give it the, the right amount of mojo, you know. But um, no, editing editing is a killer, mate. Editing, and you know, you get sick and tired of looking at yourself. You get sick and tired of listening to your voice. Especially if your yeah. audio is wrong, mate, you know. And, it's just, um, and then you do the water song. Man, I should have done this. I should have done that, you know. And um, But, you know, that, that, that's how you learn. You always sort of try and learn learn, learn every video I've learned something new in terms of whether it's an editing process or something I should have said on the hunt or should have done or should have showed, you know. So um, I look at it sort of from a, an artistic point of view that it's a work of art, you know, and you sort of, it takes me for, for a 30-minute video, probably takes me about, uh, about oh, four or five days, four or five days of uh, just, Absolutely, you know, uh, yeah. Yep. yeah, just four or five days of coming back and then working on chunks of it. And then my final, my final part of it is my audio overlay, which I put the music in and all that sort of stuff. And, but, um, yeah, it's just, if you, if you don't look at it as, as, as a work of art or something to mold and, and be proud of, I think, yeah, you, you can, you can lose it, you know, you can lose your mojo and then chuck it all in, you know, but, um, no, I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of having a, um, yeah, having that journey and then quickly getting into it and then um, producing something that I'm, I'm pretty proud of, you know. Yeah. Proud of. But, um, I know when um, yeah. I made a bit of a bunny hunting one probably just about a month or so ago, you know, and I thought oh, I might put a bit of effort into this one. Like I just do it on the side more for me, for my memories on looking back and enjoying yeah. the hunt. And, you know, I thought, no, I'm going to put a real, like same as you, music, I'm going to go all out on this one. And I think I spent yeah. – the video goes for roughly sort of 14 minutes, so it's a bit of long-range shooting, more rabbit hunting over here on a property mm-hmm. I got access to. And I think one time was on the Friday afternoon, started about 4 o'clock, didn't go to bed until about 1 a.m., got up the next morning mm-hmm. at about 9 o'clock because I slept, you know, obviously stayed up late the night before, and then edited, I think, from about half past 9 till about 6 o'clock on the Saturday. So I'm thinking there's probably about, for a 14-minute video, there's probably – 13 good hours um, in that yeah, video mate. with, yeah. you know, voiceovers, yep. with music, with yeah, the mate. cuts. Yep. And, yep. I mean, by yep. the end of it, I look at it and I just go, oh, man, like people love it when they first watch it for the first time. They go, man, that's awesome. And then I, I look yeah. at it I thought, oh, God, man, I've just spent 13 hours looking at this freaking thing. And I, <laughs> I'm sick of bloody looking at A at my face and yeah, B, the same footage over and over and yeah, over. Mate. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just render the bloody thing and export it and put it on here. And get it up. Jesus, guys. It's crazy. But um, I want to ask you a couple of questions as well, just about more than obviously spent, you know, 99.9% 99.9% of your time hunting, but what about anything else in the shooting community? You know, clay targets, pistols, any target shooting other than sort of sighting in your yeah. rifle? Do you do any sort of thing? No, not really. I sort of, um, you know, I've just had a bit of time in the military and I'm really over that sort of thing, shooting at targets and all that sort of stuff. And um, I really am just sort of devoted to uh, doing enough shooting in terms of uh, load development, um, getting the rifle dialed and validating validating uh, drop charts and the rifle and so forth and um, and really just getting out there and applying that in the field. So, no, I don't, I don't um, other than, you know, you have work things, you know, work Christmas dues that you go to and they all got clay birds out there or they're shooting 22s. I mean, other than that, no, I don't, um, I don't do any sort of um, social activities that, um, you know, clay birds or um, pistol shooting and stuff like that or uh, targets here sort of really, really sort of not why I shoot. I shoot more to um, obviously grab, grab some animals for the uh, freezer and um, be able to enjoy, enjoy um, long uh, or shooting in the field, you know, and all the, all the challenges that that comes with. But uh, short answer, no, mate, I'm just, uh, I just love uh, shooting in the field and shooting animals. Really. 
Yeah, absolutely. Mate, we're going to talk about in a minute uh, what your favourite game to hunt. We're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back. The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% of the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit O. USAAustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. Mate, just want to talk about uh, your favourite game species to hunt and why, mate. Give us a bit of a rundown. Red deer, brother. The very abundant species in New Zealand is red deer, and <laughs> I love to hunt them. Yeah, plain and simple. Um, they're everywhere. They're scattered throughout New Zealand, and um, I mean, deer in general are my favourite. Um, obviously, Pigs are less um, sort of abundant, but um, I'll shoot them just as quick as shoot as a deer as well. Um, but yeah, I, I guess um, I think there's a couple of species I haven't shot. I think they're uh, wapitis and uh, whitetail, but, but generally the good old abundant red deer is my favourite target species. And it doesn't really need to have any uh, antlers on either, mate. I'll shoot them all, mate. They're all going to go one place and they're in the freezer. <laughs> what, uh, can you give us a rundown of what uh, you know, deer they've got in New Zealand? I know you've obviously got red, fallow. What are your main sort of you know species? Uh, yeah, the red and fallow are our main species. Um, fallow mainly in the North Island are uh, mainly farm-based, um, whether they escaped from from uh, farms that went bust back in the day. But um, we got red, fallow, uh, seeker deer, in the sort of uh, Hawke's Bay, Central North Island area. You've got Rusa, Rusa up around that sort of same area as well. We've got Samba. Uh, we've got uh, Wapiti or Elk down the South Island and uh, a couple of herds of whitetail, one down by Lake Wakatikulun and the uh, famous uh, Stewart Island herd as well. So that's, um, those are our main main species of deer in New Zealand. But red, reds are predominant. Uh, they're, they're all spreaded, spread throughout the whole country, yeah. Do you reckon the red deer honestly tastes better than the other species? You think it's a different type of flavour to the other type of uh, deer species? No, I think um, it's a toss-up. Uh, I heard whitetails they're absolutely delicious. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to taste it, but um, I would rate uh, seeker, seeker, fellow, and then the good old reds. Yeah, the seeker are bloody uh, really nice, nice venison, and the fellow because they're so small and tender, just um, lovely. But the uh, uh, good old faithful reds, mate. When uh, your luck's down and you just need a feed, just go out in the hills and pop yourself a red, you know. Can't go wrong. <laughs> mate, I want to find out, uh, you know, a lot of people start YouTube channels, which we're talking about a bit earlier for a reason. But, you know, I mean, looking forward, uh, you know, to the future, what do you hope to achieve long term? Is it you know, educating people? Is it to just give us a bit of a rundown of what you'd like to achieve, say, over not only the next two months, but say the next, uh, you know, one year to five years? Yeah, that's a. That's actually a very good question. Um, I guess never really thought about it in terms of um, my expectations for the future. It's just to continue, like you said, it's to continue to educate, um, pass on information. I don't really see it. And people ask me this, you know, about whether or not I wanted to make a living off this stuff. It's never been my intention to make money off this. Um, it's always been just about the fundamentals of, of sharing the adventures and taking the opportunity to um, oh, interact with other people. You know, there's, in the future, I'd like to, uh, if you were ever over here, buddy, take you out for a hunt, you know, and film that <laughs> and show that experience as well. I mean, that's honestly, I want to do collabs with, um, you know, other people uh, in the, um, you know, out there 
in New Zealand and in Australia, I um, had an Australian friend who I met through the internet and not in a non-creepy way, by the way. Um, he came <laughs> over and we, I, I took him out on one of my videos. Um, Hank Bradford uh, took him out and took him. We took him out. We, we took him fly fishing. We took him hunting. We she shot two species of um, two species of deer, reds and fellows, and just one of those things. It, as a guy we knew through um, a private hunting group, got onto yarning with him, and, and it, the opportunity to him to come over here and us to share our country and our experience with him was absolutely fantastic. So, future the future of my YouTube channel is to share more share more of those experiences with um, you know the right people. You know, just uh, as you can imagine. A lot of people contact me, or can you please take me out hunting, or can you show me a spot? And um, yeah, uh, generally the dipsticks, mate, and I try and uh, take a wide berth around those guys. But the future of my channel is really just to uh, share more, share more uh, information, or share my adventures and experiences with um, other cool people out there. Yeah, and I was thinking I'm probably not as big as uh, no, just the big fella, big O, but I'm probably you know, a bit smaller than him. But man, I'd have to get my fitness on to get up those mountains. I've seen you, man. I'm like, wow, like you guys really yeah. do it. Yeah, you know, and that's the type of terrain. It really is. Ex- it looks exciting. You know, just shooting is just one part of the one part of the hunt. But then you've got the you know, I watched one of your videos the other day, and you were looking at your watch, and you're like, all right, we've probably got a five hour recovery. I'm like, what five hours? <laughs> Five hours? Yeah. What's going on here? You know? And then, you know, yeah, yeah. you look at it and you think, eh, and you're pointing, you're going, it's just over there. And I'm like, that's only 500 metres. What's the problem? But when you look yeah, down yeah. and you see what you've got to do and how you've got to make your way down and then make your way across and then come up the other side, man, it's just, you know. And then when you see it on a video, you're like, you can't believe almost that you've just spent five hours going and you know, trekking across to the deer uh, to do a recovery, getting the meat and coming back. It just, people don't understand the time involved. And it just, that's why I like your videos. It just blows my mind. And it's sort of the excitement of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I guess that's the art of the storyteller, right? I mean, you, you know, this thing, being what you do with the podcast and your YouTube channel, it's the art of telling a cool story, you know, and you'll be able to, um, the only reason people know this about my channel is just I need we need to show you know the ins and outs the dangers of doing this stuff as well. But you know you look at the terrain when we're right at the bottom and you just you get a sore neck, mate, looking at the top of the hill, you know, because you have to look up so steep. You know? But it's about it's about communicating that through the YouTube channel, you know, the the, the adversity we go through to get these bloody animals just for you know some back legs and back legs, so we normally blew the shoulders out with the big guns, you know, but. Um, it, it's it's one of my 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 most enjoyable parts is the recovery, you know, because I, I train hard for the recovery, you know, with all my pack training, and I, I just yeah pull the trigger. That's the happy bit, and the rest of it, I just I'm so stoked to go over and get the deer, and you know, I'll happily go over and get it by myself. It never worries me. But um, yeah, it's being being in a position where you can um, share share those experiences. Yeah, it's only 500 meters across here, but she's she's uh, an owl for every hundred meters she covers, just about, you know. There and back, but um, you know, it's just it's the part of the game. I'm, I'm afraid when you you shoot long range, particularly in the public land, that um, you shoot them long, mate. Recover them long. It's you know, it's a, it's a pretty simple philosophy, unfortunately. Exactly. I know when I first got onto some public land here in New South Wales, and you know, I was took me a long time to get my first deer most people know that about me and I you know of course at the show I had lots of invitations people like you know come to my property you know I know they're going to be up the back at at 5 p.m you know they're going to be out eating you can just sit on the hill and you can shoot one at 120 meters but you know what I, I really appreciate those offers all the people that gave to me but you know what I just sort of wanted it my first one 
I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to be the person yeah, that was in the yeah. right spot at the right yeah. time. And yeah. and it's amazing how it happened. And I thought to myself, like, when I was originally hunting that, wow, man, this just shooting them's <laughs> the hard work. But when you start yeah, shooting them yeah. on a consistent basis, and it's so weird that I got a lot of tips from people, like you, know, like, like you guys, sitting and waiting, scoping, using your binoculars, looking across at hills and stuff. And when I started to implement that type of stuff, I started to become a lot more successful. Now I'm on the opposite. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm, I've just shot one. Now the real work starts. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, the, yeah, you yeah. Know? exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, that's the switch you have to make. That um, Once you're successful, then the, the real work starts, you know, and that's, um, I mean, like I said, I, mean, that, that I enjoy every every aspect of the, the shooting and the, and the recoveries because uh, it's all part of the adventure. And then when you walk back to your, your ute, you know, and you're sweating and you've got blood dribbling down your thumb because, you you know, you carted the deer out and it's leaked through the bottom of your pack, you just still sit in the ute, mate, with a big, fat, dirty smile on your face, you know. <laughs> exactly, man. What are your top, say, two or three tips for, you know, people wanting to, you know, get out and hunt in New Zealand? What do you think, you'd, you know, your top two or three tips are? I think if, um, to be honest, you know, if you're going to come over, particularly for, from Oz or from another country, so it's really do your research, you know, um, understand the game you want to hunt and what environment they're going to be into. And then, then you know, um, yeah, I say this, because we've got, um, you know, social media, if you start getting onto some forms, we can talk to some people about, um, you know, what the terrain looks like and all that sort of stuff. And then really what sort of gear you're going to need, what gear, you know, whether that's uh, packs, boots, um, and, and the rifle rifle for the game as well and then all the challenges about trying to get the rifle into the country and all that sort of stuff so I mean it really do do your recon um, you know understand what game you want to hunt what environment they sit in and then what gear you're going to need to um, carry out that task so um, and then no, no different than planning a normal hunt but um, you got to really sort of you know you invest all that money to fly over here you want to make sure you, uh, you, you get your best your best bang for your buck you don't get yourself down and obviously fitness fitness is a it's, it's a biggie you got to you got to train train hard to enjoy yourself over here. You know, I mean, if you if you get a creamy little farm hunt, um, which you can get in Oz as well, um, it's no point coming over here to shoot fellow on the back back of a farm. You also come here do some public country or go hunt tar or chamois down the South Island where you you get the full spectrum of the country. You know that it offers here. So, um, but yeah, those those would be my my key tips. Do your recon, know your game, um, get your gear squared away, and you know, prepared to do a bit of hard work before you get over there so you can enjoy yourself in the field. I want to talk about that too because you brought up two very good points there, which I did want to bring up as well. Now, that's very mountainous over there as well. Obviously, some flat areas, but a lot of the places you hunt, very mountainous terrain. So let's talk about, because there, I listen to a lot of other shows. I see it on the internet as well. The three, a couple of things that will beat you, obviously fitness being number one and mm. and your footwear. Talk about those two, yeah. fit, fitness and footwear, how they can, you know, pretty much beat you in the field and turn a, you know, maybe a trip of a lifetime into the you know, worst nightmare you've ever experienced. Yeah, yeah, fit, fitness is, is massive. And it's doing life sort of battle prep and fitness for the terrain you're going to go into. Let's, let's face it, worst case scenario, climbing bloody hills with weight on our backs. And, and that's it in a nutshell. And I've got to say, no F forty five F forty five class or crossfit class is gonna prepare you adequately for putting some weight on your back and humping up dirty great hills that um where the terrain is broken, it's vegetation, it's you got rocks, you got all that sort of stuff. You need to actually um get off your bum and go find that terrain, put the weight on and then uh hit the hills and train hard, you know, train hard and do those sort of things. Um and once you've got that baseline fitness and you you got it you got strength of mind, so it doesn't a lot a lot of a lot of things I see guys get scared. 
they get scared of the hard yards, they get scared of the hill, you know, whereas if you've got a level of baseline fitness where you look at the hill and all you do is smile and take it as a challenge, come on hill, I'll take you on, mate, no sweat. You know? um, but yeah, you've got to have a, um, a good baseline fitness and have good um, mental resilience. I know that's a word that's thrown a lot around these days, but you've got to have a strong mind, you know, because um, when the fitness sort of lets you down a bit, you know, it's the mind that's going to get you through at the end of the day. So both those things, work on both those things, the fitness, footwear, mate, you've got to have good boots. You've got to have good boots, you know, and I'm, um, I'm supported by uh, lower and lower have a full spectrum of boots, mate, you know, and I, I pick and choose my boots according to the terrain I'm going in. And if, I, if it's a, I'm not too sure about it, whether it's broken ground, mountainous and that, I'll wear my alpine boots, you know, because they're the apex of my boots. They've got the most rigidity. They've got the most support. So I'll wear those. But if I know it's an area I'm going into that's, um, you know, got some gentle sloping areas with a little bit of shell on it, I'll wear my, my, my sub-alpine boots. But you've got to have good boots good boots to, um, for the terrain up here, especially if you're going to head into that mountainous area, that heavy, rugged um, sort of vertical area. You've got to have good boots, man, you know, and um, plenty of good hunting boots out there, but you've got to, you know, it's, uh, whatever you pay for, mate, you, um, you get on the uh, results on the hill, definitely. Absolutely, man. Great advice. So people, I think people under-prepare sometimes. That's fitness. That's definitely something you know, I've got to get on top of too, because if you ever want to go to places like even New Zealand, but even some parts of Australia, we have, especially in Victoria, some very mountainous yeah. areas, and a lot of yeah. a lot of yeah. hunts have been ruined because of fitness or bad footwear or a combination of both. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I can, I, I know of a couple of hunts um, where, you know, my mates just haven't been up to speed, and then we're talking just a walking. We're not talking the actual hunting. We're talking grinding and grinding onto a spot, and they're hurting. You know, they're hurting and um, it's a 50-50 call whether or not you, you know, you, you pop an animal, you can't really take them across for the recovery because it, it, it'll just destroy them and break them and then you won't get out, you know, or you have to pull up the PLB, mate, and get the helicopter to come and get you. But, um, yeah, I, I think um, I've had a number of hunts where where guys haven't been up to speed, you know, and they let themselves down and then it's actually compromised the trip, to be fair, you know, and um, it, it carries heavy on, a lot of the guys that I've taken that and it's happened to, but yeah, the only way you're going to prepare for it, mate, you know, is to get out there and do the hard yards, and, and that's how you end up enjoying it. But um, it, it's just, it's a bit of a bummer when that does happen, though, mate. But um, you know, not not everybody, you know, can can train train as hard as they want to for the environment. It's just um, you know, a handful of us that have the opportunities to to do that and um, you know uh, reap the rewards at the end of the day. Yeah. What are your top three, say, items you can't live without when you're on the pack hunt up in the mountains? I think if we were talking um, baseline things, I mean, obviously good um, tentage, you know, a good fly, a good tent, um, good quality um, sleeping bags um, and a sleeping mat. Jesus Christ, mate, I just, I thought it was a given. You know, I made the, I make assumptions about some people, when you take the map for a hunt, and you know, a simple thing like a ground mat, you know, a thermal ground mat, whether that's that rollout one you see on the old backpackers uh, packs or, or yep. the blow up inflatable ones that are thermal ones, just little things like that, mate. Try sleeping directly on the ground in New Zealand, mate, without a, a ground mat. You'll find out real, real quickly how cold it is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's good um, protection from the elements, you know, whether it's a tent or fly and uh, comfortable sort of um, sleeping equipment, sleeping bags, bivy bags, those sort of things. And, um, I think those are the, the key things to, to protect yourself. I mean, you, you can sit out there and get a bit wet or walk in and get a bit wet, but you've got to have somewhere 
warm to recover and you know um, have a bite to eat out of the elements. If you if you stay if you stay wet, you know throughout the night, mate, it's just absolute horrible, mate. You know, um, and all the other one too is keeping your feet dry. Yeah. You know, being um, being an ex-soldier, mate, that's one of the things you just crikey think, mate. If you, once your feet go, mate, you're all over, you know, you're all over. So, yeah, definitely protecting your feet from the elements, you know. I'd, I'd rather take two pairs of boots up there, one for walking through the rivers and the other one to walk and hunt with than, than sacrifice wet boots, have wet boots for the hunt, mate. I couldn't think of anything worse, anything worse. So that's my biggest nightmare probably. Yeah, same thing, wet feet. Nobody likes to get wet feet, but especially if it rains at night and stuff like that, you really don't want to be going to sleep, especially if you're in that, you know, colder, you know, autumn or winter Mm -hmm. weather and you get a nice storm overnight and you get absolutely, you know, decimated with water. It just ruins hunts, doesn't it? It ruins a hunt. Oh, and just, you know, sitting on a, on, on a, um, on a blind, you know, uh, glassing deer, you know, and like um, we we can sit there, we'll, we'll sit there all day glassing. The last thing you want is your feet throbbing, you know, because they're frozen and they're wet and cold. Um, it, that's the worst thing that it just sends you send yourself real quick, you know, and you just can't you can't focus on anything else but your bloody cold wet feet, you know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, the, the feet, the feet in the hands, mate, the feet in the bloody hands. Yeah. I know it's, it's it's crazy, isn't it? How you think the smallest things, you know, but they're often the overlooked things. People don't prepare, but oh. especially when you go on a pack hunt, you can only take as so much stuff, can you? And you've got to be yeah, prepared. Right. And sometimes right. you've got to hope luck's on your side too, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've seen um, guys crumble. You know, um, you know, wet feet. You know, and they say, "It's all right, mate. I'll just walk through the river, and mate, mate." You know, I'll be there, fart assing around, taking my boots off. You know, and then rolling me, rolling me um, uh, leggings right up so I don't get anything wet. You know, um, and then get across there, and now ready to run up the hills. And I'm still putting me uh, dry socks and boots back on, and get up the shooting blind, mate. Next minute, someone's freezing, you know? and it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hunt the and I wasn't sure even I know it's Ruahini's now but uh, I wasn't sure even how to if I'm even saying that correctly but you hunt obviously that region as well you know what do you think of hunting that steep terrain do you do you like sometimes the the harder hunts the harder that it is the harder you have to work the more rewarding or do you sometimes you like that you know flat country farm hunting as well yeah I guess um you know that sort of Alpine hunting in the Ruahini's in the steep country is the apex. You know, that's that's where I get my kicks. I get my kicks. I just and they make good videos too. You know, um, you know, hunting on the farm, it's an okay video, but it's not as good as one and up in the hills. But no, I um, I enjoy, way enjoy um, the hunting in the, the public land and the steep stuff more than you know hunting on the back of farms. It's um, far more rewarding at the end of the day. You know, I mean, uh, you still get a venison. You know, you can still get a venison on the farm, but you definitely. Um, you know, when you're driving home after the hunt, I know which one I'm smiling on. It's the one I've just come out of the public land. I've had to work my guts out, you know, uh, to shoot the animal and to recover it, you know. And, um, but, yeah, like I said, just uh, nothing wrong with a, a creamy farm hunt every now and then just to give you a bit of balance, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent, man. We're going to go to the quick break, guys. We'll be right back. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories, and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Mate, I want to find out too if you hunt any other areas or regions of 
NZ or you got any plans to go on any hunting trips or anything you'd like to, you know, sort of strike off the bucket list, so to speak? Particularly when I was based down in the military, hunted a lot in the South Island, but you know, did that sort of through the military, sort of out there knocking a few animals over. But I just returned down there last year for a hunt and wasn't successful trying to trying to chase a chamois. So I'd be pretty keen to get back down there and knock over a chamois or a tar down there, like in winter, you know, where that cool white stuff is there. And um, but yeah, I've hunted um, a lot in the North Island, uh, a lot of the areas and that, but. Um, I guess there's no no real sort of apex in New Zealand like like the South Island. You know, you're down there, mate. That's just an absolute beautiful place to be. You know, and it just makes the Ruahines look a little bit uh, like flat, rolling country. To be fair, mate. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, mate. It, it, it's, it's gobsmacking when you stand at the bottom, and these these mountains are just this. They go from very, um, nothing to, to sheer vertical, right in front of you, mate. You know, and you just you just sort of in awe. I think the Ruahini is a little bit like that, but it's all covered in bush, you know? um, so you don't really get to see how steep it is. But um, now the South Island, mate, I wouldn't mind getting back down to South Island and um, chasing a sham or, or tar down there um, this year, hopefully, um, in winter sometime. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the big guns, mate. You know, favourite calibres. I mean, do you own several different type of firearms to, to hunt deer or give us a bit of a rundown of what you, what you sort of got? Oh, really just shoot the 30 cals, uh, the 308 and the 300 wisdom. Um, being, you know, you say this ex-military, we either like 5.56, which is the 2D3, or the 308, you know, the 7.62. So um, pretty much uh, my 308, my um, my sort of fellow rifle, my, I would call it my fellow, or my um, hunting on the farm rifle, and then my, my 300 wisdom, that's my big boy for shooting um, out past or 500 out to 800 metres. That's what I use for me um, for most of my long range shooting. But uh, yeah, definitely my um, my only two favourite two calibres. Obviously, most of the hunters have got a 22 as well. So, but um, no, those are my main calibres. The uh, the two feet of calibre, the 300 and the 300 All right. So why did you choose the 300 WSM? What do you like about it? Or wisdom? I've never heard that term before. Is that the is that the Rogie term or? <laughs> no, I thought everyone calls it a wisdom. <laughs> do, 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 does everyone? Maybe I've got it wrong. I yeah, probably have. Probably oh, have. I don't know. It's how we roll. It's how the cool guys roll. They call it wisdom, <laughs> mate. They call it wisdom. Um, yeah, so oh, there's a very scientific reason why I went from 308 to uh, 300 wisdom. It was uh, out hunting with a good mate. He had a wisdom. Sitting down next to him, we lined up on a couple of deer. I hit mine with the 308. He hits us with the wizard, and his one just about gets jolted backwards, and my one runs off. And I thought, "Yeah, I'm going to give me a wizard. That's what I'm going to give me." <laughs> and that was it. Much that was there was no. I just looked at him, and we shot after that, and he was just mashing the left, right, and centre, mate, out out to range too, you know. And I just, um, I thought, "Shit, I got to get me one of those." But um, and that was the only real reason I, I sort of really hadn't been interested in, in shooting anything bigger than the three because I was able to shoot um, deer at the 700 metres um, shallow and stuff like that red at the 500 with my three I was quite comfortable and proficient at using the three but I saw the old mate you know uh, smashing um, some, some big animals at distance with the 300 bosom and yeah that's what really converted to me but in saying that if I was to do this again, I would uh, go to the 300 Win Mag would be my, um, if I had a shot at the title, 
mainly because uh, we've got a good mate who shoots around the Wimag, and I jumped on his Wimag. We had the same suppressor, same setup, basically. And Jesus Christ, my mine's still got a bit more of a boot than his, you know. Um, and he, he, he squeezes another about 100 feet per second out of his than, than I do with my wisdom. So, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, though, too, about, uh, like, when I read a lot of the, the forums and stuff, like, especially even in, like, 7 mil 08, for an example, in America, very popular, popular in New Zealand. And the 7 mils are extremely popular in New Zealand, too. I mean, I've got, uh, I just bought a 300 Wim Mag as well, probably a couple of months ago. Um, mm. And I just bought it, but I've also got a light version in a 7, sorry, 7 mil light version sporter and the, the 300 mm. mag is in the varmint but talking about your 300 getting back to that is yours when you carry it in is yours just your regular sporter barrel light or is it your varmint heavy barrel no straight sport barrel I, I used to be a big heavy barrel man you know and around uh, harmonics and all this sort of stuff and it uh, you know it's ability to um, to soak up a few more shots but I just I went through the straight it's my my rough is just a standard ticker uh, 300 was in and there's not much real weight. Dropped into um, aftermarket chassis. That, that's all there. With, with good glass on them, obviously. So uh, there's no, you know, I, I've had conversations with guys who've got these, you know, flash Harry rifles, 28 nozzlers, 334 terminators, you name it, 338s, all that sort of stuff. And um, it's just, I keep things nice and simple, mate. They're straight out of the box. Dropped into an aftermarket stock with some good reloads, reload data in there, you know, half, half MOA groups. And that, that produces the goods for me. Yeah, maybe it was just the size of it. Because when I watch your videos and you sort of got the GoPro sitting there, I was looking at myself saying, it sort of looks like a varmint barrel, but is it a sporter? I'm not 100%. Nah. But I, I thought I was leaning more towards the, the varmint heavy barrel, but uh, I guess not. I guess it's the, the lightweight sporter. Yeah, good stuff. Oh, it's, it's, it's just straight out of the box, mate. It's straight out of the box. There's, there's, there's nothing special about it. I've actually got another, I think I've punched about 1,500, 1,700 rounds through the wisdom. And I've got another standard wisdom barrel uh, that I'm going to put back on, and I, I was, you know, going to do all this, these great aftermarket um, cricket barrels, all that sort of stuff. But I thought, well, you know, it, it's, it's working the way it's working. I'll just replace it with a standard factory barrel, you know, and um, and, and lighter too, lighter obviously for the big carry. But um, yeah, it's it, it's just giving me the results. So you know, once once the old recipe, you know, if it's uh, it ain't broke, don't try and fix it, you know. Yeah, exactly. I guess when you're walking up and you're going into that and you've got a big hike in, you don't really want to be carrying, you know, even if it's a standard ticker like yours, you don't want to be probably carrying a, a heavy barreled varmint. You want to try and keep, you know, um, weight to absolute minimal and adding that extra varmint barreled weight, probably probably weight you don't need to add to the trip too. Mm, yeah, it's just interesting. Um, one of the things, the philosophies around uh, long range shooting is stability, uh, you know, and uh, to be honest with you, if, if I had a, if it had come with a barmer barrel and it shot deadly, I wouldn't change a thing about it. I'm, uh, I know a lot of guys who try to lighten their rigs up a hell of a lot, you know, carbon fibre this, carbon fibre that, and um, they suffer when it comes to recall. You know, that, that's the bit, whereas my rig probably sits in at around about 12, 12, 12 and a half pounds, you know, in terms of a nice, stable platform for a, for a heavy recalling, uh, recalling caliber like this round of wizard, it's just absolutely money, mate. You know, it's just the right combination of weight, stock configuration. Uh, it just works perfectly for that rifle. Yep. Well, talking about that too, you run obviously mainly, I see you on there, or think all the time you're running a suppressor. Is that Does that add to the extra weight or the extra movement? Do you ever consider... You know, because you get a lot of time probably to the fine game, put your hearing protection on if you wanted to. So do you consider switching it up between a, a brake or a suppressor or you prefer suppressor? What's your what's your general thoughts on that? Oh, 
yeah, well, we've got a sort of saying over here, muzzle breaks, no mates. That's, that's pretty much how it rolls. <laughs> <laughs> um, suppressor, you know, both muzzle breaks and suppressors um, help with your recall, you know, your, the, the recalling of the rifle. It's just, um, yeah, it's far more polite to shoot uh, with a suppressor and, um, you know, if you're shooting in an area, like a lot of the times I'll shoot, we'll shoot, I don't know if you've seen a, lot, a couple of my latest videos, we've shot a deer and half an hour later, another one's walked out in the same spot and we've zapped that as well, you know, and um, mm. or, or we've missed, we've missed and had to do a correction and and the deer doesn't even know where we, we were shooting from, you know, so um, that, that alone and just, um, just easy on the ears, um, I, I choose suppressors over um, muzzle brakes um, any day. You know, I just um, I, I had had a couple of guys that had muzzle brakes on trips, and you know we've uh, we've had to make them shoot last because um, they'll scare the whole valley, and that'll be the end of the hunt. You know, but um, no, I mean I, I know. I mean we're lucky here in New Zealand. We um, you know we're not um, the muzzle brakes. Uh, uh, sorry, suppressors aren't um, banned like they are in Oz. But um, yeah, so I mean, and that's why you see a lot of a lot of guys in New Zealand will shoot with suppressors. It's just. Um, it's just it's easier and nicer to, to be around when you um, when you've got a suppressor on. Um, but you know, if we didn't have that, I'd, I'd go to muzzle brake just with the recall management. Yeah. yeah, and I notice you're running, especially probably, and this will be interesting too. A couple of questions during this one, but you're running the uh, 208 grain ELDMs for hunting. Uh, how's that working for you, and how do you find that? I mean, obviously you've got a bit of an aftermarket stock, bit of a heavier scope, so that probably brings the weight up a little bit. But how do you mm-hmm. find the recoil with the suppressor with the 208 grain ELDMs on game? Uh, performance-wise on game, um, obviously I transitioned out of the 208 grain Amex, which were absolute just beer killers, mate. They just stopped them in their tracks. And a bit worried about going to a match round, you know, the 208 ELDM, but um, had, didn't really want to do a whole heap of um, extra um, load development for it. So I switched straight over to the ELDM. And to be fair, to be fair, I have had a couple of situations where the old um, ELDMs have pinholed. I mean, gone straight through and uh, maybe a, a golf ball size exit wound, but done the damage on the inside, you know. But um, no, the switch to the um, ELDMs has, has been seamless, mate. Absolute seamless. And they, um, in terms of the recall, I mean, a lot of that does come down to your, your rifle setup, but it also comes down to your um, your marksmanship principles and your shooting technique on how you manage manage your recoil, you know. Um, but yeah, they've been since I've had them probably 12, 14 months shooting the ELDMs. That being performance, mate, absolute performance. Yeah, well, I hope in my three hundred win mag, I'm hopefully I'm going to have some good results with it. So I can't wait to see how they how they group out of my three hundred win mag. You know, mm, but uh, maybe mm, if you give mm. a come over here, you, you, since you said you wanted one, you might try and steal mine. So, <laughs> so <laughs> but um, mate, let's talk about another good one, very important one, especially shooting long range and stuff like that. You want to be able to see game. Uh, you know, mornings, uh, preferably afternoons as well on that last light. So let's talk about optics. You know, what's your favourite magnification for long-range shooting or what should – if people want to, you know, are watching you, your videos and go, great, that looks awesome. I've got places that I can hunt like that. What sort of optics do they need? What magnification? What tube size? Is it is glass important? How much should they spend? What do they need to look at? Yeah, I mean, if anything, glass is so bloody important for the long-range game, you know, in terms of – Clarity of your glass, and um, you know if you're if you're you're dialing, obviously um, you know, the the accuracy of your dials, whether it's in mil red or, or MOA, um, and it's like with 
most of these things, the more money you throw at it, the better the better you're going to get. Whether it's you know Night Force, Horskies, um, Leopold, um, or it doesn't matter. It's just, but quality of glass is big, and the type of reticle you choose is, is critical. Magnification range. I shoot, um, I think it's six point five to twenty by fifty um, on my uh, my Mark IV Leopold, and that you know that objective front objective lets that lighten on that sort of early morning shoots or those last light shoots. So that's a benefit, sort of minimum fifty mil on your front, and uh, definitely you know for your six, seven, eight hundred meter sort of shooting, you, you want up to twenty, sort of between fourteen and twenty max magnification. I've um, shot a couple of 25 power scopes and Jesus Christ, mate, you just use you, you breed wrong and the thing that throws it right off. It's just that they're so they're so sensitive to any little um, imperfection in your shooting. But um, I, I would say max tw- uh, 20 power and then somewhere, whatever the bottom range it might be, whether it's four, five, six, whatever. But yeah, good glass, mate, is, is, is bloody important when it comes to um, long range precision shooting. Good glass is a must. Yeah. I want to talk about too, and that brings up the next point too about gear. Gear is very important, so let's talk about things like uh, binoculars. Uh, what do people need to long range shoot? So, what applications do they need? Um, let's talk about that. So, what do they need for long range shooting when they want to go out hunting? I think um, you know, going on from the um, the scope, you know, you've got to have good uh, binoculars, good clear glass, and because you're going to be on them a hell of a lot, you know, you're going to be glassing. Glassing for if you're into long range shooting, you're sitting up on a spot and you're going to be spending hours, hours on the binos and having good glass that, um, that allows you to really define things out in the field. So look for that ear twitch, look for the tail, look for a hoof. You know, I mean, it's um, uh, you know, you really got to got to be spending DIY say at five hundred bucks plus, you know, uh, to get yourself some good set of binos, ten by forty twos, you know, crystal clear, um, and Applications, you know, um, if you want to get into this game, you've got to have a, a ballistic app. You really do. Um, it's okay having it all written down on the side of your rifle, you know, from uh, an app you've downloaded on the internet. But having a ballistic app where where variables change when you're out there shooting, whether it's um, barometric pressure, um, whether it's windage and stuff like, being able to make those changes, those calculations in there are bloody vitally important. And there's a whole heap of free apps out there for, you know, your, your phones that you can grab. And, and utilize, but once again, you know, you, you get those, you still have to take them out and validate them at a, at a range, you know, and, and get them all dialed and get your rifle, your rifle working with the right, right, um, uh, ballistics in your, um, ballistic calculator in your phone. So, yeah, those, those are a must in the long range game, you know, obviously good optics, whether it's binos, uh, scopes, um, precision shooting rifle, and obviously some, um, some good ballistics, uh, software to help you, um, get those, uh, shots dialed in really accurately. Yeah, and one I wanted to mention too, which is a good one too, and I've had the the cheaper ones, is uh, a good rangefinder. Very important mm-hmm. um, having because I've had rangefinders before that just <laughs> were not very good, and they'd pick up the yeah. smallest thing. And I think you've got a Leica, maybe one thousand. I yeah. think yep. a couple yep. of years yep. ago or yep. a year ago, I bought yep. a Leica yep. twenty, maybe four hundred, probably way more than what mm. I'll ever need. But you know, mm. uh, totally different kettle of fish. Like sometimes I'd be there 
trying to get a range on something, especially in flat terrain. Some of the places I hunt can be really flat. Like, you know, it makes it, 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 it it's awesome in a way because you don't have to walk up any hills. But, you know, it, it with the cheaper ones, because it was so flat, it just wouldn't give me a yeah. reading. It, it couldn't get the proper angle off the flat ground. So, you know, having a good range finder and, and, and making sure it's be correct, because if it's not correct at the distance, you, you, you're going to either pull up short or you're going to go long yeah. or and, and it could end up in a, in a wounded animal. So we want to do as much as we can to make it, make it as good as we can and make a good ethical hunting shot. Yeah, yeah, range finders, mate, that's another one of those things. Just, I've um, I've used the Bushnells, I've used the Leopolds and just the Leica, Jesus Christ, it just, you know, you shoot it off real quick, the, the laser, and it comes back instantly. And you and you can you can range it off some of those marginal terrains, you know, generally they like to have a nice flat surface for it to kick the laser back to you, but I've, I've had it on branches and twigs and stuff like that, and it's kicked back real accurate data. And I mean, that, that's definitely one of the one of the must-tos is having a, a quality rangefinder to give you accurate um, range estimation. And then obviously some of them will read the um, uh, incline decline for you, which is really important as well because uh, uh, um, calculating it, putting it into your app as well. So, yeah, no, mate, top quality rangefinder is a must as well. Mate, a couple of final questions to finish off. So, you know, you get home, you've got your deer, you've cut it up, it's on the kitchen table, you know, missus isn't happy, kids aren't happy, they might like that, you know, they might like eating it, but um, what do you sort of uh, utilise the game meat? You bring it home, what's your, say, couple of go-to, not recipes, but, you know, ideas that you use to, you know, utilise your game meat when you get home? Well, there's two main ones that I um, I utilise is obviously the back steak, you know, back steak, the back strip, you know, he's, he's the premier cut. So I normally would um, make a light marinade, like make a light marinade and, and sear them on the barbecue. This is absolutely perfect. And that's, that's my favourite, favourite way of cooking venison. And then there's the um, slow cook, mate, slow cook in a cook pot. Just absolutely, you know, um, leave it there for four, five, six hours, mate, and it just melts in your mouth. That's, uh, those are my two favourite methods of um, of cooking venison. Uh, and obviously if you you take them to a butcher or, you know, you've got a friend that makes sausages and patties and that, that that's the other way as well, you know, for those lesser lesser cuts, like your front shoulder and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, marinated back steaks and then uh, cooked, cooked, cooked um, back leg or front shoulder, that, those are my two go-tos, mate, my two go-tos. Absolutely, mate. To finish off, uh, tell us a story, man, maybe about... Your best one of your best days hunting, you know. I want to feel like I'm I'm living the experience when you tell me it. So, you know, time of year, who you went with, the experience, you know, maybe something that just stands out in the mind of you know maybe a great day in your life where, you know, you look back at that memory and you say, wow, man, that 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 sort of memory has stayed with me. Yeah, I ironically I made a video of this as well, but um, I call it the nine-hour recovery because that's how long it took for us to get these bloody uh, two deer we shot. Um, <laughs> and it was, um, you know, taking my big old mate Big O, you know, and he's tipping the scales in his underpants at 168 kg. So you load him up with a pack of rifle on that. He's getting close to 200, you know. Um, but the, the chap, he's got a heart on him, mate, like a bloody ox, you know. He, he, he never, never backs down and. Anyway, we we knocked these couple of animals over. One was easy, only at 300 metres, and it was a um, pretty easy recovery. And we sort of waltzed back up. We were actually going to go recon another place, but uh, we're closing off, so we, we ended up back at our favourite spot. You know? Anyway, a couple more popped out. So we zapped these two. Um, they're only about 400 metres. Zapped them across the other side of the valley, but we hadn't recovered off that spot before. We recovered in another spot. We had tracked a couple of that. 
So we really sort of were, were sort of um, heading down there, sort of um, sort of reconning a track down there. Anyhow, we end up going down there and, um, you know, what was only probably 400 metres directly down to the creek took us two hours to go downhill, you know, and we were just absolutely nailed by the time we got to the bottom of the bloody hill. Um, got to the bottom, had a couple of... Uh, gym pre-workouts, you know, the workouts you use for getting your own big muscles on that. Yep, had, yep. I had some of those in my pack, so I, we flew a couple of those into us, and that got us all G'd up and fired up, so we ended up cruising up cruising up, and grabbing these deer, and um, I said to me, big man, I said, when we head back down, we mustn't go down to spot X because there's a dirty big waterfall down there. If we get stuck behind that, mate, we've got, a, we've got two hours of climb to get out. <laughs> well, guess, guess where we ended up, mate? <laughs> we ended up down by the waterfall. <laughs> and, at the, and at this stage, you know, um, the rookie moves, we hadn't taken any, anything to eat. You know, we were, we were living living and drinking off uh, gym pre-workout, which was um, yeah, not really good for your ticker. Um, and we, by the time we got to the deer, and started recovering them and, and recovered from our first little booby down there. We were looking at four, four, five hours. We already spent five hours and we hadn't even started climbing back up to the camp. And we um, we started climbing out. And um, my, my big mate there, he just started tapping out big time, you know. And um, so we, we started swapping over a bit of venison and the, the grind out of there, mate, it was just uh, just unbelievable. It was so slow. And my big my big mate was cramping up that fighting center and. I um I actually bought some cramp spray. I don't know if you've heard of this stuff. This cramp spray you spray it on your tongue and it um relieves cramping. Wow, um, yeah. Oh yeah, the old big chap he was cramping up there once, and I was spraying the stuff down his goblin. You know, he, could, he was cramping <laughs> up in his uh, hamstrings, cramping up in his triceps. He was like a dead cow in a hot Australian sun, mate, stuck in the middle of the air. And um, I sprayed <laughs> the stuff in here. We'd get up and go, and we we just we just ground away until we got up to the top, and it took us nine hours, nine hours to get back up to camp, and um. Then we had to walk out because the weather was going to close, and so it's nine hours, nine hours to do the recovery, and another hour and a half, two hours to walk out of the bush. You know and that that day when we sat in the car mate, at the end of the day, we just looked at each other and we just laughed our asses off. You know, we just looked at each other and just had a good laugh, mate. You know, it's just like, you know, um, that that's that's, that's a um, a trip I won't forget purely because of the effort we put in and and the cock-ups we had along the way. But um, yeah. like I said, I made a video of it because I just couldn't believe it myself that we got ourselves into that much bloody uh, dramas. And but you know we got out and had some chapters and it's it's uh, and it's adventure I'll never forget. So yeah. yeah, that's definitely one for me. Mate, I bet you slept well. Both of you slept well that night, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, you know definitely. But I actually think he was driving. I slept on the way home. Yeah. Mate, um, to finish off, I guess if people wanted to, they want to find you on all the social media areas and places they can go to find you, to subscribe to your channel or Instagram and stuff like that, how do they go to find you? What name do they need to look up and how do they find you on YouTube? Roger Productions on all social media. Um, obviously, I've got my own private Facebook channel and I'm saying young, but you want to follow my stuff, Roger Productions on Instagram, Roger Productions on YouTube. Perfect, mate. Any any final thoughts you wanted to, I guess, add to, to finish off? Anything you might want to leave with the listeners? Any advice or anything like that? No, I think um, I think as, as, as hunters, we've got a responsibility to, um, you know, uh, caretake the future of our sport, you know, and... Um, Look after the land, look after the animals. Uh, I think it's one of those things that um, unless we do that, unless we do that, you know, we won't have a future future for hunting for our kids and grandkids and so forth. So it's just one of those things, just look after the resource, it's precious, and, and make sure that we do our bit to 
you know, guide people in the right direction, I suppose, at the end of the day. Well, Thane Young from Rogie Productions, mate, thanks for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it, talking about all things uh, hunting in New Zealand, uh, the grind, deer hunting, all things we all love, and uh, dropping some awesome knowledge on my listeners, mate. So just wanted to say thanks for coming on the show, mate. Hopefully we can catch up again soon. Uh, Thanks a lot, Jake. Thanks for the opportunity, buddy. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.